gents. We've got a special guest tonight, former Newcastle Knight, Michael Young. Welcome. How's it going? And, <laughs> Thank uh, you, I hey, think Mick. This should be episode 47. And uh, this is the NRL Grand Final Show. So we're going to talk a bit of mostly footy tonight. So uh, we all ready to rock, boys? Yeah, I'm pumped. Yeah, I, can't it. Just, I was yeah. just hearing some of Mick's country footy stories. I just want to get into those. They're fantastic. So. Yeah, well, I reckon uh, we'll definitely touch on them soon. Um, so we're, we, we've actually made it, boys. Um, you know, there was some some concerns at the start of the year that we, we may not actually get to this weekend coming. Um, there was a good chance that they, we may not have had a footy season at all in the NRL. And uh, somehow, some way, they, we pulled it off. Uh, well, not we, they, the NRL. And uh, we got a grand final with the top two sides this weekend. Yeah, so I think um, all credit to, what do they call him? Sir Peter Volandis or whatever. They reckon he saved the whole game, eh? Well, I must say, we, Mick, you probably wouldn't know this, but but us three got together for a, an episode not long after it all shut down and, and probably all of us agreed, oh, mate, there'll be no footy this year. There's <laughs> nothing going to happen. And didn't we get proven wrong, boys? It is yeah. it came back in a big way. And I reckon it's actually been one of the better years of the NRL, I think. like uh, Definitely. I, I've thoroughly enjoyed this season and the rule changes that they put in place as well, which we'll get into a bit later, I'm sure. Yeah, so, but mm. to um, to before we dive deep into the footy, probably a couple of things we just probably need to address first. Uh, one, uh, another sporting code that, that pulled off the near impossible was the NBA um, had a resolution with the Lakers winning the championship uh, in six games, um, and much like the NRL, no no positive tests in the bubble, which was a bit of a surprise. Um, but I guess considering how strict the, their bubble conditions were. Um, maybe it's not such a surprise, but uh, are we happy with the result in, in result there, boys, with the Lakers winning? Uh, yeah, it, it was the least watched finals ever, and uh, it was yeah I, on the COVID thing. I, I guess it's nil cases reported, so I think. They well, just swept, a, swept, are, you, are you calling cover up nuggets? Is that what you reckon? They just, they just swept those up, mate. Swept those up and. Uh, uh, but yeah, look, it, it was uh, what the NBA is now. It was a good show. Um, yeah, Miami, Miami put up a bit of a fight in saying oh, that the, blo- yeah. the, the the young bloke hero uh, coming out of nowhere and just yeah, Jesus, shot the shit out of it. So, well, yeah. do you? So let's talk conspiracy theories very quickly. Streety, you just said the NBA bubble was like pretty strictly held. Do you think they snuck in like hookers or chicks or something? Like, surely there's no way those boys just stayed alone for for that amount of time, right? Like, I don't know if I they snuck that, anything in. I, I think it was probably NBA more of a case of him. probably more of right. a case of guys getting out. Uh, I mean, Lou Williams had his uh, much publicised night out at the uh, some chicken thing that was actually a strip club. Strip club. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. One thing they that they actually didn't do during the bubble is they did test for pot um, in the bubble, so they kind of probably made a few concessions 
um, to appease some. Uh, well, so everyone was just laying around stoned and with the munchies <laughs> rather than trying to get out and get. A yeah, yeah, and you could probably make an argument that may have been that may have been the Clippers' downfall. <laughs> Too much yeah, pot, just, isn't it? Uh, just dressed him up as Mickey Mouse and hookers and weed all day. There you go. <laughs> so, surely, Disneyland. Oh well. Yeah. Well, I'm glad the. I'm glad the season came to an end. I'm glad they got it out of the way. But a lot of the sports leagues in America just kind of feel like – it feels like to me like they're just trying to get through their season to meet their broadcasting rights contract. Um, yep. And, you know, credit to the NBA. It was a hell of a lot of work to put that season together. Uh, and they did a good job. And, you know, it was an expected result anyway. I mean, once the Clippers are out, the Lakers are probably always going to take it out. So. Yeah, exactly. In, in many eyes, the Lakers were the favourites going into the start of the season before, you know, pre-COVID. So you, you probably can't really argue with the result too much or say, you know, you know, let's say if the Heat end up winning, well, then you could have made a case that, uh, that the season was, was some way, you know, um, the Heat had an advantage one way or another. And, you know, some teams adapted to, to bubble life well and some teams didn't. Um, and that, you know, may have levelled the playing field you know, across the board, but ultimately, you know, the, the team going in, one of the favourites ended up winning it. And, you know, um, for, for me, that was what I tipped. It was what I was uh, hoping to see and happy LeBron got number four. Um, but overall, I think the quality of basketball uh, throughout the whole playoffs was was quite good. And, and you know, to their credit, it probably surprised a lot of people with the standard of play that they're able to get. And you just put this on the agenda to talk about because you tipped the Lakers <laughs> to win and you just wanted to remind us all of that? No, no. I mean, it's, it's, it's okay. pretty well documented that I tipped him, but, um, yeah. How well, much do you think be... Kobe Bryant, like him oh, passing, yeah. you know, like how, how much do you think that, you know, laid on Lakers and they were there for other reasons too? Yeah. Yeah, that's I mean, a good point, Mick. I reckon, I reckon that had a fair bit to do with how – Unified that Lakers team actually was. Yeah, that's what I saw when I when I seen them. I saw like across the board, they were you know unselfish. They were there yeah. to win it, and that's what I I thought they were the best team as in that through that you know like yeah they, weren't, they weren't, didn't have other agendas. They were there to win as a team and do their job. Didn't doesn't matter how little or how big they were there to do it. And I I could see that, and I thought I just thought that might be. You know, difference. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I reckon I mean, that's a good point. It was probably, you know, I guess maybe for the Lakers, losing it was probably never really an option to them. Um, you know, just, you know, imagine Kobe dies in the year they make the finals and then lose it. You know, that was, it's almost the unthinkable. Yeah, I think I think from from early on in the season, the Lakers basically – it felt to me like they were the team that felt like they were destined to win it, as in just that they had a belief, right? Like, and and that's and they they played like that certainly throughout the bubble as well. Um, you know, like that is kind of LeBron James in terms of everyone criticizes him because they're saying, oh well, well the critics of him will say, well he went out and had to build a team around him, but. You know, that's what happens when you want to win championships and win titles in any sport. You've got to yeah. build a team culture of, of belief around you. And I think that Kobe Bryant death, like Kobe Bryant's death probably had a lot to do with the rest of the guys on that team buying in and realising they had a chance to do something pretty special together. 
Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think it is awesome for that particular organisation to see them win. Yeah, totally. Um, you know, um, and I think maybe for the NBA as well, um, you know, maybe they were potentially more pleased with that result than if it went the other way. Um, I'll just make a quick segue. I started a new podcast uh, listening to uh, yesterday called uh, Whistleblowers, and it's about Tim Go- Tim Donaghy, the, the disgraced ref who was uh, jailed and convicted of match fixing and uh, and things like that from 2003 to seven. Um, that's, at this point, an eight-episode podcast. It's fascinating. Um, so I'd really recommend you guys take a listen to that. It delves into the world of, you know, um, referee, you know, um, cover-ups, influencing games, um, the potential hand the NBA had in the sentencing of certain witnesses and those involved. So it's, it's quite a uh, – it's an interesting uh, listen. Uh, well worth your time. Um, yeah, and it does definitely touches on – and it's no secret that people are out there saying, you know, the NBA is a business, it's entertainment, it's, you know, glorified, you know, it's performance ballet essentially. Um, and is it really professional? Um, those sort of, uh, you know, darts are definitely thrown at that board, um, you know, alluding to that in, in some factions. But it's, it's very interesting to hear some of the stories of, uh, of these sort of shady characters um, and, and the investigators involved in the case from the FBI and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, nice. well, worth, uh, well worth investing your time in that. Pretty good production too. Uh, after you listen to that, that's not that very common, is it? What's that, Mick? That's not very common for actual officials. Like I know you've had like Hansi Conyer and, you know, players in the past have um, taken dives and that, but not so much match officials. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously you have, you've, there's always going to be some kind of a, a match fixing sort of scandal and it's, it's pretty well, you know, happens across a lot of sports. I suppose what was unique about this particular instance with the NBA was um, they weren't really fixing the games in, in the sense of, you know, um, influencing the result in terms of who wins or loses. It was more about in influencing the line. So a lot of the betting took place on the line, on the plus or the minus, and whether a team who was favourite would cover the line or whether the underdog would actually exceed it. So that's where millions and millions of dollars uh, were changing hands and, you know, referees were ultimately, um, you know, having a hand in that. And often, you know, um, it, it will... Most of the time, and as, you, as you, you may know, if you sort of look at sports bets, you pick, pick, you know, play performance lines or whatever, it, it, it's pretty spot on most of the time. Um, and it could be just as simple as a non-foul call at an end of a game can can result in, in a won or lost bet. And at face value to the, to the a crowd, if, if the favoured team wins, wins the game, that's all they care about. But, you know, when, when it's a four-point four line and the team wins by five, or you know whatever it may be on if, if it doesn't matter which side you're on you could, you could yeah. potentially lose a lot of money and that that's where the whole sort of um, premise of this this scandal came came from. Yeah, well. yeah. I think what like Mick's got a good point there in the sense of that particular situation was pretty unique in the sense of what we've seen in the past is probably a player trying to influence the outcome, maybe having been influenced by bookmakers or something along those lines. It's extremely rare to see, I think, an official influence, the try and influence deliberately the outcome of the game. So like you said, Streety, in this particular instance and most other instances, it's about covering the spread, right? So making sure your margin bet wins. Um, Because 
if the referee was trying to actually influence the outcome of the game, that would be, I think, abundantly obvious eventually, mm-hmm. right? Like you maybe you get away with it once, but I mean, in your footy career, Mick, when you were playing in the NRL, you know, a referee might blow you out of a game, but you know, if he does that every single time, like you know, it's going to be pretty obvious pretty quick. You know, I do remember a famous one. You remember the grasshopper? <laughs> yeah. I think. I think Barry, New South Wales won. They won one time in Queensland. <laughs> was that <laughs> Barry? Yeah, Barry Gomesel. Barry Gomesel, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember the Queenslander and he, he was one one out of ten he refereed and New South Wales won in Queensland. And <laughs> the, I forget which captain it was, went up to him and goes, come on, Barry, we've only won one out of ten in Queensland. Give us a hand. He goes, I'm allowed to have one bad game refereeing. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's funny. Uh, good times. Yeah. Uh, good so, time. for all those people out there, it's called Whistleblower. So, get onto it. It's uh, it's good. Uh, you can find it in iTunes. Just like searching for sports and spit, you, you'll come across it. <laughs> uh, the other big game this weekend that um, is the AFL Grand Final. Um, so, the AFL may also not got the matchup that they ideally wanted. I think uh, a Richmond versus Brisbane Lions battle of the big cats uh, was probably the preferable uh, outcome for the AFL there, particularly with the games uh, in, in Brisbane. Um, would have been a good opportunity for Queensland to put them into the showcase, but we got uh, two Victorian stalwart clubs, the Geelong Cats there again. Uh, how do we see that one going? Yeah, I see uh, Richmond getting up. They've been there, done that. Um, I mean, I know Geelong have as well, and they've got a few players, but uh, that have have won premierships there a few years ago. But yeah, just the the powerhouse that is Richmond. And again, we touched on on previous episodes with the shortened game of AFL. I think that's sort of stuffed them this year as far as the the product that's produced. But uh, the, the Tigers just yeah have have adapted to that game and and just seem to just just blow people off the field yeah yeah they have been the last couple of weeks haven't they nugget the the two preliminary finals are pretty good games but mm. before most of that i mean like i guess the finals games have been pretty good but the regular season games are were, were pretty average as we've said before i'm going to tip it going the other way street i i think the cats are going to get this one and I think it's because it, there's the kiss of death. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, well, I can predict everyone, the loss. Lo- load up on the Tigers now. Mac has put that out there. <laughs> but I'm telling you, I think that that Geelong Cats list—they put that together when they spent a lot of money on Patrick Dangerfield, and and basically went kind of all in when they got Gary Ablett back as well. But they've managed those guys really well this year, and I think they've got a like a hell of a game left in them. And yep. And I think they're going to be too much on Saturday night. So there you go. Put your money on the Tigers. But across the park, who who has the, the the biggest star power? I mean, Geelong's got a pretty solid. So are they they're fairly top heavy, um, or are they more top heavy, or are Richmond more top heavy rather? Oh, I, you'd have to say, wouldn't you, Nugget, that the Tigers have got the best player in the game in Dusty Martin, right? Like, I mean, he he's a class above, and he'll go down as probably one of the better players to have ever played the game if they win another premiership, because. Five years ago, that club was a heap of shit. And, well, they, like, and they were for the 30 years before that. Yeah, that's right. And and now they're probably about to win their third premiership. And, you know, and of course they built a great culture and Damien Hardwick, the coach, and, and then their CEO has had a lot to do with that. 
But but a guy like Dusty Martin, you know, you can't deny if he if he wins the Norm Smith Medal on Saturday, and if, if the Tigers win, he's probably a bit, a good chance, right? Because he's that guy who, you know, he just does everything for him anyway. So if they win, he'll probably get it. That's three Norm three Grand Finals, three Norm Smith Medals. Like there, no one's ever done that, and you yeah. can't overlook that. But so they've probably got the best player in the game, but across the park or across their list. I think Geelong might have them in terms of actual like quality of Overall player depth. Yeah, yeah, I think so. So, yeah. Tell, tell me this. Sorry, Sorry you, go. you go. No, I was just going to say, yeah, you, you're probably right. But in saying that, we haven't really seen all of them click. So it'd be interesting to see come grand final. Well, you saw what uh, happened to the Giants last year, but um, <laughs> lest we forget, but. <laughs> Again, at well, the same you wouldn't time, you wouldn't be able to not forget because you were so shit faced. You wouldn't remember the game anyway. Well, I tried to forget. Let me tell you, <laughs> <laughs> to the early hours of the morning. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So, and that's why I think Richmond because they have been there, have done that, and just I mean the, the year before that as well. Um, sorry, their premiership before that. Um, they, they just. Cl- clicked up a gear come grand final so mm. yeah be be a good one but you know like i said i think this is where there's a year where nrl have got it right afl have got it wrong yeah simply yeah, well, yeah. <clears throat> with that with the with the whole dropping of um minutes hey like mate they are mm. humans hey like mm. i remember yeah. in 2000s the um, Geelong used to come up and train with us in the pre-seasons. So they used to come oh, yeah. up and mate, they would run beat tests and they'd be running 17. Yeah. You know, like our fittest guys would be like Kirk Gidley and Robbie O'Davis and, you know, they'll, they'll be getting 14, 15s, you know. But mm. by these, they're like big guys. But mm. even the big men, the Ruckman, they're, they're all still getting higher levels. So, you know, for them to drop, drop that much, I, like it, it's kind of weird because the game's so much about like athleticism and the aerobic capacity, but it's sort of just they get going and then they got to stop. Yeah, you know? mm. and that's what the game was always built on. And me. it's taken that out of it, hasn't it, Mick? In terms of we feel, I feel like it's meant that there's no fatigue in the game. The boys uh, are just able to cover yeah. it so easy, right? So. See, and that's where I feel like we're you know with Geelong, I feel it's probably played in. They got you know with Gary Wood Junior, you know like. Mm. He gets that time. You know, he's not as fit as what he was when I seen him when he was younger, mate. He was an absolute freak, yeah. you know. Yeah. like, But but that sort of played back into his – their sort of hands with that 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 team. But, you know, it'd be a good game. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Gary Abbott Jr. May, uh, may be a step slower, but he doesn't look it. He's, he looks exactly the same as he was when he was 20. Well, I think the good point Mix made there is, is that he doesn't look it over a 16-minute quarter, right? Mm. But, like – but he might have been over a twenty-five minute quarter, which, you know, like um and and also don't forget Gary Ablett did leave the bubble for you know, like a six yeah, eight week period done, or so. Yeah. yeah, which obviously was a traumatic experience because he was down there for family, but that helps, right? Like that helps yeah, with an old definitely. body making sure you're fresh, you know? So yeah. yeah. So it'll be a good game. I reckon it's gonna be a cracker to be honest. First AFL grand final to be played at night too. Like that'll yeah. change things a bit in a different state. Yeah, mm. especially if it's flogging down rain like it was up there Saturday night for the preliminary final. Like that changes know. things definitely, definitely, yeah, definitely. Well, I'm with you, Maka. I'm going to tip an upset and go to the Cats. Mm. 
I mean, I, I don't have any, uh, any any love for the for Geelong. In fact, I've never liked them since I started uh, going for the Hawks in uh, in the '89 Grand Final, uh, the VFL Grand <laughs> Final. That's all I remember. And so it was uh, definitely I've never liked the Cats since. Um, but nevertheless, I think they'll uh, they'll come out winners, and we'll go Dangerfield for the Norm Smith. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do something you couldn't do with the Adelaide Crows, uh, win a premiership and a Norm Smith. <laughs> Oh, very good. It's a veiled shot at our Adelaide Crow supporting, mate. He knows. He knows. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, well, Mick, let's uh, let's talk about what we brought you here for tonight, and that's uh, rugby league, rugby league. In the, rugby league. Famous words of PBL. Um, before we touch on the grand final in the 2020 season, let's just uh, let's touch on sort of your career and sort of where you've come from and, um, around the Newcastle area as a Knights local and and, and junior and, and the progression you made through to first grade. Okay, you good things. <laughs> no, well, I um, I, I lived, I moved to Wanji when I was ten, and um, so I played for the Wanji Warriors, uh, my junior club. You know, um, actually, Michael Ennis, he um, was one of my good mates. He grew up just around the corner from me, so oh, yeah, uh, nice. point. Yeah, so he's a. We played, we played every grade together. Um, was he always yeah. a pest? Yeah, Mick, Mick, Mick was an acquired taste all the way through. Like, <laughs> I, 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 because I known him from such a young age, I knew what he was about. You know, and his mm. whole family background. You know, like growing up in a, with um, single mum. You know, like I, I knew his old story, so I understood the passion and the intensity, and and that's who he was. You know, and um, you know, but I guess if you don't know that. Then yeah, he's a pest. <laughs> a great I think one thing with on. Michael Ennis is is his his reputation sort of you know covers the fact that he's he's one of the most intelligent footy minds that you'll come across. I mean, you probably didn't see a lot of it during his playing career, but when you listen to him on the analyst shows on Fox, I mean, he knows a hell of a lot about the game. He's really smart about his footy. Um, you think he'd make a, a great coach, Mick? Yeah, well, he was doing some stuff down there with Canberra, you know, he like he. You know, like he—he's very intense. Like football, mate. Well, we're in year seven, and I, I remember we were eleven years old, like going on to twelve. In in um, we, we were young, and we were going to Morrisett High. And I remember, you know, um, you know, we we're both young playing rep for Newcastle, and we both had older brothers at um at Morrisett, and um, and the football coaches come up and said, "Okay, Mick Ennis, like you're going to come play football with us." For the school, and he goes, "Mate, I play in the rep team. I'm not playing for this shit school." <laughs> <laughs> you know, like that's 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 the kind of player. He's not going to get injured playing, believe him. You know, and he, yeah. he goes, "Youngie, what are you doing? Do I what, do I get missed school?" He goes, "Yep, all right, I'll play." You know, like <laughs> you know, I was about just playing footy where Mick was. He always had that one track going to be there, and mm. you know, he's played 280 odd games, I think it is, and you know, he's had mm. a great. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So Mick, like Wanji, ten years old with the Wanji Warriors, what like yeah. what then kind of what was your path then basically all the way up through to first grade, mate? Oh well, I grew up in Campbelltown. That was where I was born and um, all my family were from down there and it was the housing commission area. I'm from, you know, a big family, you know, them brothers and sisters. Um, you know, so it was it was, you know, us moving the Wanji to um, look after my then, you know, um, that got us out of that. And, 
you know, so football was, I was just sport, you know, I was mm. sport, football, everything was, all, all my brothers and sisters, like, like they all played football in there, you know, and, and all, all their sports and that. Um, but, you know, for me, it was just pretty much playing for Wanji, get picked up, play Newcastle rep. I, I moved over to Valentine and I played, um, got just played rep all the way through and made the Harold Matthews and went all the way through there. But um, one thing I will say was like, I was, um, I was a mad Western suburbs magpies. Like I bled mm-hmm. black and white growing up in Campbelltown and growing up in Claymore, everything was, you know, the magpies for us as young kids. And, um, you know, I loved and you know, I didn't, I didn't really understood what the Knights was, but um, when when we moved up there and they were they were sort of your second or third favorite because they played hard. You had Chief and you know and Joey and that was still coming just coming through and that. But but it was it was ninety seven. I remember it was they won the grand final. I, I sat and watched it at um, at home at Wanji and and um, we had our presentation at Wanji and I won club champion. Um, so. I was voted best player in, in, in the Wanji club and and Mark Hughes was actually there, presented the award, you know. Oh. And I remember just seeing him two weeks early, he was there winning a rugby league, you know, winning the ARL grand final. And next thing he's there shaking and giving me an award, you know, mm. club Wanji. And from there I guess I just got that, you know, I thought, you know what, this this guy's got no idea who I am, but he as a Newcastle Knight, he represents me because I play for Wanji. Mm. You know. That was for me was, you know, this is going to be my team. This is who I want to play for. And that's what I want to be for the, you know, for everyone else, the juniors growing up all the way through the area. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. And, uh, and what year did you make your first grade debut? Um, 2004. So, 2004, um, yeah. Yeah, I was 20. I was a fullback. So I was um, Robbie O's understudy pretty yeah. much. I played, um, yeah, I was. I played Harold Matthews, yeah, Street Ball. Um, all the way through, and um, Robbie, I, I was injured, and that was actually the game. Parramatta, Joey done his knee at the at Parramatta Stadium. So you remember that when he first done his knee, and then David mm. Seaton was playing fullback, and he done his knee the same night. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. he was yeah, probably the most it. unluckiest footballer ever. Yeah. David Seaton was he? Mate, he was a great fella, you know, and he he come from Queensland. He was twenty three, played residence, and mate, it was. It was really good competition at that time, you know. Everyone earned their jumper, and and I remember he seen him go down to Robbie Owen, and you know, and Hags early in the week said, "Youngie, I'm gonna you're gonna play fullback," and you know, and we we're playing against the Dragons down at Wind Stadium on a Sunday afternoon, blowing 80 80 k wins. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So 2004, Wind did you have Trent? Great Barrett day put... to be making your debut at fullback. <laughs> yeah. Did you have Trent Barrett put uh, bombs down your throat? Ah, uh, well, funny story. Ten minutes in. I, all I remember was um, I was I, I was off a scrum. I, I I was getting the ball. Um, I caught the ball and I was running towards Trent Barrett. Next thing I, I felt like I blinked, and I'm I'm sitting there. It's half time and Michael Hagen sitting in front of me talking to me. Oh, so I played the whole half. I didn't remember yeah. anything. But like, wow. I just, and then I I looked over and one of my best mates who, who made his debut the same day, Riley Brown's there. I go. Brownie, what, what's going on? He goes, it's half time. Okay, I can't remember nothing. He goes, yeah, I know you've been knocked out the whole game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, I think we got beat forty-eight to two, so it wasn't a very good game. But they, had, <laughs> hey, we, yeah, I think we had not, hardly any. We had heaps of players out, and yeah, losing the week after losing Joey doesn't help help the night. Nah, 
But the 48 <laughs> to 2 wasn't the biggest loss you're involved in with the Knights. Is that nah. right? Yeah, nah. Tell yeah, us about yeah. that that fateful day uh, up at Suncorp Stadium versus the Broncos. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> this is yeah. the research that you've done. You are. Yeah, okay. Well, I'm, I'm good, Mason Street, you see. I remember yeah. We talked about we, <laughs> we we talked earlier about pests. Yeah, oh, exactly. Right, yeah, seventy was it seventy two to four or something? Worst one of the worst scores ever. Yeah. Well, you know, Cronulla got beat by Parramatta by more than that. So you know, But I mean, in a professional sort of environment, when when you you know are in a, in a team, uh, obviously not obviously not not at full strength, but but when you get towed up. Like that. I mean, what's what can be said in in the change room after the game? Like what what Brian Smith was coaching in. I'm, pr- I'm pretty yeah. sure. Like how did that was sort pretty of, hard. Yeah, it was pretty hard. Like you know, um, we we it was or they played Origin on the Wednesday, and Queensland beat New South Wales. So we didn't have Danny Bedieris, Steve Simpson, Kurt Gidley all ruled out. That was Jared Mullins' only um, only Origin match. Oh yeah. And then we're playing Queensland, or oh, playing Brisbane in just after Suncorp, where they played the game at Suncorp on the Sunday. They had pretty much the whole side from 2006 minus Shane Webke. So that, right. <laughs> that was, they had, they had everyone in that team. So it was, you know, we were a pretty inexperienced side. So, you know, if you looked at our team compared to their side, you know, it was, you know, it was Brian Smith, you know, it was just sort of, Go out there and you know and see what we can do, and it was it wasn't good. It wasn't good preparation the whole time. But like um, I think we flew up that morning, and um, you know we flew up there that morning, and then pretty much played and then flew out. It was just sort of rushed and pretty much what they do now. But we weren't really prepared for that. Yeah, and um, and that was also Clint Newton. That was his hundredth game, and also he he left to go to Melbourne. So. Oh. So, mid-season, yeah. Yeah, mid-season. So it was... Yeah, winning cool. the grand final of the Storm later that year, didn't he? Yeah, he won the Storm, yeah. And then, yeah. Yeah, they, um, yeah, he won the, won the grand final down there, so he done Well, he won the grand final, <laughs> but he's not a premiership winner. <laughs> yeah. I don't think he'll take the rip off him, but... <laughs> no, no. I mean, it's, it's probably a good question. Like, you know, like for a player to um, to experience that, obviously to have the joy of winning the grand final. Does the joy of actually winning, being on the field and winning the grand final... You know, would, would that ever get lost in the fact that that premiership was stripped, or are they? Can you sort of is as a is it easy to separate those two things? Oh, look, I think at the end of the day, you don't play against money figures. You play against the men, obviously. Mm. You know, mm. and and at the end of the day, like I guess Parramatta and Manly in those two situations, like they lost the game. You know, mm. like the other side won, and you know, met, met, you know, I guess I don't know how much. Well, the players had nothing to do with it. It was more the the guys they got they got done up, but you know, could they not have had blokes there? Who who knows? They might have stayed for cheap too if they didn't get that offer. But like end of the day, you can't take that experience away. You know, grabbing you know lifting the trophy and grabbing a ring. You know, yeah, and I think it, you, you you'd look at it from the opposition's perspective, wouldn't you? Like if you were on the other side of the field, would you feel like you'd won the premiership if you got beaten on the day just because it got stripped? You know, nah, and you'd have to probably say you wouldn't, right? Nah, yeah, yeah. You, you had your chance. You had your chance. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it doesn't matter what team is against you. You, you see, you see, sides always get up. You know what I mean? It's like it just comes down to the day, and 
You know, it doesn't matter what what team you got on the other side. Like you see, Tonga beat Australia. You know, it doesn't matter who they got. Like you still got to turn up and play the game and win. That's you right. Know? You know, and that's and that's the thing. Like you know that you're not playing against money. You're playing against the, the bloke who's trained against you, and you got to beat him. And they didn't mm-hmm. win. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. Mick, what about um, your best memory from your from your footy career, mate? Like obviously, Streety's just reminded you a couple of the bad ones, and you told us a decent <laughs> one. What's the thing? What's the thing that you cherish the most about about what you did in the Knights jersey, or even before that, mate? Um, I don't know. I guess, I guess, um, you know, your, your debut is like memorable, you know. But I, I'm kind of different. Like in, I, I love our way trips. You know, this mm. is like, you know, I used to love just being with the boys on the bus. You know, no phones. You know what I mean? You get on there, and yeah. you know, from from the front of the bus to the back, there's all all beers and that, and you sit there and you drink with your mates. You know, you've mm. had a hard game and. You, you train hard and win, lose or draw, you, you're there together, you know. Mm. And, like, you know, I, I do feel sorry for um, the guys today. You know, their, their professionalism, sure, they get the money, but, you know, I think that's what I get most I, – I got most of my career is, like, you know, I look at guys I see I haven't seen for a while and, you know, you just remember those great times, you know. Like, you trained hard, you ripped in, but then there was good times after it, you know. Mm. It wasn't – you know, you didn't just sit there. And there were two hours trips every 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 away game. Yeah, two hours. Mm. Maybe we'd be there playing cards or watching movies or, you know, talking and, you know, just, just, just enjoying each other's company. And, you know, that's probably what made us, you know, really tight, I reckon, you know. Yeah. And do you think, do you think that would occur at most NRL clubs? Not today, but back then. Or did the Knights oh, have yeah. something kind of like, because the Knights are the, you know, a lot of the guys might have come up through the juniors and, you know, that might be a bit unique to some clubs. So. Yeah, like, like it, it's it's kind of probably different. Like, I think the Sydney mentality is because they're in the papers and that. Like, we had the Herald and that, but it's not the same, you know. Mm. Like, unless, like, even, like, you, Joey, and you had your big names, but but even then you could still get away and you're not you're not really as, as high intense chase like it is. Like, Joey's still surf, you know. Mm. He's still on the, in the beach surf and, like, not getting hounded. You know, like where mm. I think I think the community was a lot better. Like you used to go in town and people come up, shake your hand, or call you a dud or whatever. You know, <laughs> like they let you alone. They didn't hound yeah. you. You know, yeah. they went all over you. You know, I think you got that down there. So it was a bit more. Well, I know a lot of the guys were always open. Like you know, and they'd always mm. have you could have a beer, go up and have a beer with any of the boys. You know, no mm. one would fuck you off. And I guess that it was just we had a real community vibe. And and yeah, probably the main fact is a lot of us were all from here. You know, like we, we grew up here, we understood like the guys that played before us, like we knew who they were and you know, we either you know as as a young guy, if I went to a Knights game, if I didn't know someone, I knew someone that knew someone. If yeah. you know like you, you always had that, you know, um you always had that connection and mm. you know I think that's why we were so close. Yeah, they often yeah. talk like I've lived in Newcastle for twenty years, right? And they talk often about um the six degrees of separation rule in Newcastle being about two degrees. Yeah, I reckon two or three. <clears throat> yeah, and you know, like because because it's a tight community and people do, and that's what people love about it, right? Like, is that yeah. you know people and you can get stuff done. Yeah, that's a cool. That's is a cool analogy down there. Mick, sorry to take I, this one question. Then, if that scenario is what you enjoyed the most, how do you think you would have fared? in this year's scenario where players are 
playing in a bubble, right? And it's not the traditional bubble sense like the NBA, I guess, but where the guys have to basically play the game, go home, not go out and do anything, and then and then basically go to training. Like that's it's it's different to your era anyway, but this year in particular, that's even been more intense, right? Like yeah. how do you reckon you would have enjoyed that? Um yeah, it, it would it definitely be hard. I think I think like a lot of the guys that played with they were all so <laughs> You know, we just love going out. You know, like we'd go to a pub, or you know, every sec, like every, you know, you you just catch up the other pub. You know, catch up with the boys. You know, so it's it would be very difficult. I don't know how you'd handle it, like with a lot of the guys that we had playing. But but you know, in saying that, if that meant you had to do that to play NRL, I'm pretty sure everyone would have still done it. You know, yeah. you just like you know, and I, I you know, I was proud of the boys that they done that. You know, like. You know, if if any of them stuffed up or got coronavirus, that was it. It was yeah. the competition would have went. You know, and and they didn't. Mm. They stuck to their guns and they done it. And you know, everyone done a really good job about it. So you know, yeah, yeah I think that's an even more amazing achievement than something like the NBA not getting any positive cases because these boys have had to discipline themselves to not go anywhere, like of their own accord. Like the boys in the NBA couldn't go anywhere, but the NRL boys. You know, and they're now looking at a situation that because of the start of the next season, they're probably about five weeks away from going back into that bubble for preseason training, right? Like this is, you know, like they're going to have to do it again. There's not much of a break from that lifestyle. So. Yeah. So, Mick, yeah. um, what was your sort of uh, best, like one of your greatest wins with the Knights? Um, you know, we like like Mac has said earlier um, with the question, you know, we, we've referenced two sort of um, shellackings on the wrong end. What, yeah. what was one of the more memorable victories? Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll say our last game in two thousand and seven because we're on the we're, we're we're getting the wooden spoon like, and we had played our last game. We had to beat the Tigers down there, and um, <laughs> I'll never forget the Thursday night. We just had a, a had a team dinner and that. And next thing, Kurt Gillies pulled us in. He goes, "Oh, quick, he's all got to come in. We got to wash this all together." And it was Joey when he got busted for drugs in UK, and he, he had that. Oh, big, yeah. And he had the big thing with Gus Gilder. Yeah, he had the big Thursday yeah. night footy show <laughs> interview. Like, that's, that's our last game. So there was like all the boys together, just like, oh, God, like more pressure on us and everything like that. <laughs> yeah. But we yeah. played the Tigers and, you know, we were down, I think we were down by 12 with six minutes to go. Mm. And um, and they're playing to make the finals and we were just trying to play to get off the off the spoon. And mm. um, we scored two quick tries. It might have been Cuba Vuna might have scored two quick tries. And then, and then um, Corey Patterson got a one-on-one strip when they had the ball, Tigers, and, and we got a penalty and kids kicked it and we won the game and we got we didn't get the wooden spoon that year. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like we had a premiership. No. Yeah, well, the funny thing was Penner still had a game, but we, we, we won on the Friday night. We were just like, oh, who cares? We'll just, you know, we won. So <laughs> we'll see what happens. And they didn't win, yeah. so that's the spoon. Yeah, yeah no. Nice. And, and Mick, um, do you are you still like do you, do you I know that there's a lot of the Knights old boys are still around in town. Have you been involved over the years in any of the old boy activities, or are you still mates with a lot of the guys you played with? What's the go there? Yeah, no, I, I saw. Yeah, I've gone to you know most of the old boys um, like last <laughs> game at the um, stadium, and you know we had um, a farewell to Doctor McGeek at the start of the year, and I, you know. Um, 
and I went in there and, and talked to him and, you know, went in there and said it was run by the old boys, which was really good. And, you know, like I, you know, one of my best mates is James McManus and, um, you know, and I catch up with Jimmy a lot of the times and, you know, he's, he's really, you know, really close friend of mine and, you know, and I, I catch up with as many boys as I can. It's, um, you know, um, it's hard with life after footy, but, you yeah. know, whenever you do see the boys, like it's, it, you know, you just straight away, you, 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 you lose 20, 20 years of age and feel like a young fellow when you see him and you high five it and you, you know. Yeah. Just a quick question, Mick. Um, <laughs> with your friendship with James at Manus, I mean, it's pretty well documented. He, he was probably one of the first guys to really suffer the effects of repeated concussions. Um from from playing footy on the field, yeah. how's he, how's he doing now, and, and and sort of coping with them? Are there any sort of lingering issues? Obviously, without giving too much away and respecting his his privacy, but um, you know, like what what sort of life like for, for those guys that sort of have those sort of career ending incidents or injuries, and you know, life after footy. Yeah, I'm not really sure how much I can speak on Jimmy because I know he's still got that court matter ahead. Oh, okay. But yeah. you know he's not he he, had, he wasn't doing real well you know and he's and it's, you know and it, it significantly has changed him his life and that but you know what like he's got a great support with his wife and mm. his family and you know and um mate he's doing a lot better you know like yeah. there is but you know obviously you know it's it's really hard to you know see your mates go through that sort of stuff and I guess with you know, he was early with that concussion, you know, not many people, you know, I've caught plenty of head knocks, you know, like, and, and I, I don't, I'm nowhere near in the position of what Jimmy's been in and I, I haven't seen too many that are like it and, you know, like, you know, but he's doing well and, you know, I, you know, but he does have that court there. So I'm not really sure what I can say, but, you know, but other guys have, you know, had serious injuries and, and you can see him struggle with it, like, you know, knees and, you know, and shoulders and stuff. And it's it's hard. Like, you play your football and, you know, and I guess a lot of people might go, well, you know, he's on so much money. But then you see a guy, you know, 10 years after he's played and the bloke can barely walk and mm-hmm. pick up his kids or, you know, and then you think, you know, well, he's earned every dollar he's, he's made, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Mick, your, um, your career didn't finish, obviously, when, or, you, you know, playing footy didn't finish when you, you finished up with the Knights. What 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 did you do with your with your playing career after you kind of left and and are you still involved much with the game now? I um so 2008 was my final year. I was 24 and so I played five years up Charlestown. I played Central. Played. I wanted to go back and play local league and <laughs> pretty much you know like I wanted to go to a club that was young and you know it wasn't. I didn't. I was working in the mines. Like I I didn't need money. You know I just wanted to go back and try to impact as you know try to give something back you know like like I said there with Mark Hughes or you know and you know I just really wanted to give the young fellas and hopefully you know the boys learn a lot from me you know like they um you know I introduced them into it for showed them what a window cocktail was you know <laughs> <laughs> can you explain to us what a window cocktail is Port and orange juice <laughs> What an orange juice. <laughs> so for people that don't I might have one of those while I'm watching on Sunday night in your honour, Mick. That's a good yeah, one. Window cocktail. What a little like Carver. That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, but, you know, I just try to make it fun. You know, you rip in, you play hard, but then 
you got to enjoy each other, you know. And we had some really, you know, we had some hard years up there, but we had some, you know, was, I, I loved it, you know. Like I, I had that full responsibility. I guess I was playing, I was playing front row and trying to lead them out, playing eighty minutes every game, and you know, and <laughs> some days you didn't want to get up, and then other days, you know, you out of bed, you know. But you know, I really did enjoy my time there, and you know, um, I enjoyed playing in the local comp. You know, I believe you know, in grassroots and I believe in, you know, the, you know, in the competition and I want to see it grow and, you know, and, and from here, you know, get these, get these guys into a system, you know, who deserve it, you know. So from a fullback to a front row, it's, so you've covered all the positions. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, I had, like, I don't know if you remember street, like I had a, uh, um, well that year I debuted, I had appendix, um, I was in bed for four months. I had, but uh, like I went septic and I had a oh. cute pair of fighters. So I I lost, you know, 20 kilos in two days. And, you know, I, I nearly killed me. I pretty much should have died. That's what the doctor said. So I he cut through my hip flexor and my core on my right side. So, like, pretty much lost most of me. Like, well, not even most of it, but lost a fair bit. And, you know, so that hampered me fullback playing. Mm. That, so I guess I had no choice other than, you know, bulk up and try to get in the middle. <laughs> well, I can tell you I've done that pretty successfully naturally <coughs> without any appendix. <laughs> yeah, you didn't even need a surgeon to cut you to lose all your speed, mate. You can just no, wait. No, <laughs> no the, the, the dad bod was a natural progression. I, to be honest, I think I've always had it. <laughs> it was just think, um, So there's a bit of a rumour that uh, you may not even be the best footballer in your household. Yeah, the young fellow goes all right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but what, what what I mean that your lovely wife Beck, who's uh, a good good friend of my wife, she yeah. is a dual international. Um, played World Cups uh, for rugby uh, with the Gillaroos and and uh, also for the um, uh, the Wallaroos. Yep. Yeah. No. Well, you know, Kate and Beck, you know. 150 games there at Merriweather Carlton, their life members together, and won a premiership 2005. And you know, it was, <laughs> and got tattoos together, didn't they? Yeah, Freddie, yeah, you still happy with that, aren't you, mate? Yeah, tattoos. That's Tramp true. Stamp. Tramp stamp. <laughs> 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 no, but you know, like you know, I I was so that year I um I first um got with back in. I was I was playing reserve grade in the nights and. And she just asked me, "Would I want to come down and help?" And so yeah, I'll come down and help. And I was just, I was the assistant coach. I was just be the backline coach, and you know, <laughs> Desi was the you know head coach and the forwards coach. And you know, I was yeah, you know, just just being around. I think the girls and you know, just seeing the love for the game. You know, they had. You know, like you know, they're pretty raw. You know, raw bone. They just get in there and ripped in. And Streety's seen plenty of you know women's rugby games back in them days. And they were tough games, you know. They didn't, they didn't yeah. play for, you know. They they played for sheep stations. They they bashed each other, you know. And yeah. and, and mm. it, it made me really appreciate, you know. I guess you know playing with the Knights and like that was a hard year. That next year after I done my stomach, two thousand four and five, and it was about, you know, it just made me really appreciate the position I was, even though I was twenty one. Just like looking at, you know, the love of the game, and you know, do I do you play for money or do you play because you love the game? And you know, yeah. and it, it, I I loved it. You know, and, and watching, you know, Beck, you know, well, Shreddy can say, like, back in them days, like, she was, you know, probably one of the best backs in Australia, you know, at that time. You know, she she was yeah. a phenomenal weapon in inside centre. 
And um, she represented, you know, country, oh, you know, nine or oh, twelve times. I think she played for country and um, twelve years on me. So you know, um, she got a chance in two thousand six to make the Wallaroos and went over to Canada. Yeah, and then um, and then a few years after that, switched back to league, and then yeah. uh, and th- and then the pathways for women's, women's rugby league really started to open up then, and then um, and then we are, we are where we are today with you know playing multiple state of origins and NRL women's and um, you know world cups and, and other test matches and stuff like that. Yeah, like it was, it, like the rugby the rugby league side we back. Like um, we played a knockout down in 2010 was at um, Wee Wee. You know, I was playing with Minda River and um, Beck just um, just had Jara actually. So um, Jara Beck, I think she was just had Jara. Jara was two weeks old, so we got to the. Got to the um, got to there, and she was actually running water for the the girls' side where the, there was a Central Coast side, and Beck was so she was two weeks there lactating and getting the <laughs> babies, and I'm just like, oh my god, there's this, <laughs> you know, and then and she's uh, and then and then and we got there, and and they said the All Stars started 2010, the men's, and they said well, 2011 we want a women's side, and Beck's just going. Well, I really want to play in it. I said, when is the thing? She goes, three weeks. I said, well, that's five weeks after you've had Jara. I said, what are you doing? He goes, oh, yeah, all right. And then it come, um, I think it was the Friday, the trials was Saturday, and that goes, I really want to have a crack tomorrow. I said, all right, well, well, you haven't run yet, like full run. So she got the shoes on, she sprinted down the street, sprinted back. She goes, yeah, I'm right. I'm good to go. I said, all right. She goes, oh, what position are you going to play? I say, just play front row and just get the ball and just run out. And and my sister Julie was playing, so she played. She was she played hooker, and um, she's just like Preston Campbell, quick, short, quick, and and her and yeah. Beck growing up playing footy. So I said, just hunt with hunt with Julie and the girls run at you, just smash them, and if you get the ball, just run out. And next thing, she got picked in the side. So she she got picked, and yeah, it was pretty funny actually because um, oh, what's his name um. Oh, Bruffy used to um, – oh, he was doing the family feud. He was the coach of the um, – oh, I forget his name. Someone Bruff. Um, yeah, he, he, co- he was coach of the All-Stars. And, and one of the one of the training sessions, I was down there just looking after Jara. She was, would have been about eight, nine weeks old. And and, and she she took off because she had to breastfeed Jara. Like a <laughs> <laughs> and and, and – the coach has gone to my sister. He's gone, where's Beck? She goes, oh, she's feeding Jarrah. She's feeding the daughter. She goes, isn't that what the dad's there for? She goes, no, like holding, as if like holding the baby to a boob, goes, feeding the kid. She's like, oh, shit. I didn't realise she's out feeding the kids. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess that's a whole dynamic of the women's game that <clears throat> never crosses uh, the men's minds. No. Nah. Mick, um, Knowing that your kids are pretty talented at forty-two, how does it go around the kitchen table, mate? If the kids are doing something good, does Beck take credit, mate, or and say, "Oh, that's obviously from me," or do you kind of go, "Well, sorry, but I played first grade, so <laughs> yeah." Uh, well, well, you know, like I, you know, I, I just, I'm, I'm pretty easy with the, kids, you know, like I don't. The daughter, she just wants mum anyway. Like <laughs> I just say, don't. <laughs> I'm just here. No matter if you ask me, I'm just going to tell you you played great. You know, like yeah, I yeah. would be one of those dads that you know if if she wants to hand and anything, I'm there for her. But you know, most of the time, I just want to be there and just support her. And you know, and mm. like 
she plays touch all the time and she she loves it you know and i i'm just happy that she loves it you know to be mm. honest and she she goes down when beck beck trains like she you know all the you know having a having a baby and training at all time but then even when she had she played the world cup 2013 and then um we had our son colby you know so 2014 and she and she raced back had a cesarean she was back in back um she had a cesarean in um december of 2014 and back played in the state of origin in may you know the next year wow. you know and then like yeah. you know, that whole you know like in that whole time you know she's there tr- like you know training and, and that and jara's there she's always been there just training with her just running mm. you know yeah. and from then i guess she's seen a mum train like that and she trains really hard and i you know and i just said look no matter what if you train hard well then you prepared yourself and you know I, like the kids are, like i think she gets that determination from beck you know <laughs> like that sort of stuff but Little Fully, he, he can be anything, but we'll see how we go. <laughs> <laughs> little Colby. Yeah. Nice. Well, let's focus our attention to the 2020 NRL season, um, a season like no other, it's fair to say. Uh, and obviously it started out uh, with two games and then a break and then some rule changes, you know, um, implemented before the restart. Um With those rule changes, Mick, do you feel that, that was sort of uh, very complementary to to the uh, the game or was there certain elements of those changes that they made which you know um obviously having played first grade before um which you didn't maybe didn't agree with no i loved it oh, i loved it I, I, to me it just brought back you know footballers it made it, it separated the the athlete to the footballers you know guys like Cody Walker you know like the guys that can that can see an opportunity and then back themselves to take it, yeah. you know. I, I actually thought, you know, Nathan Cleary, you know, his biggest step was actually changing his game to play to it because I thought he was so much structure, you know, like in a lot of his game. But then he actually had to, you know, the opportunities there, he actually had to back himself. And I, I, I reckon that's made some players even step up. And I thought he was a guy who, because of the he's actually become better. You know, yeah. and you know, which is which is which is what you want to see from you know. You watch these guys; you want to see them back themselves. You know, you don't want to see them play within themselves. You know, they're the yeah. meant to be the players. Show us why you're the elite player. You know, and then mm. and you see that. Yeah, we're not. And, 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 and to tack onto that example you made, I don't think it's any surprises. Penrith, you know, basically have ran the table since the restart, um, just because they're the youthful team. He sort of has been able to exploit uh, those new rule changes and really just um, use that to their advantage with their athleticism and youth. And, you know, they, they've been a handful for the entire competition. Um, and it's probably no surprises that they are where they are this week. And it's uh, it's a question of whether or not they can actually uh, win the big game. Yeah, 100%. Like, you know, I, I'm just amazed by, you know, Melbourne Storm. You know, like... They, like they're, they're so structured in how they play, but then they've had to, <laughs> they've had to change the way they've they've played to adapt to this game, you know, like yeah. this new new game. The the speed of the ruck is so like you know if you don't dominate the ruck, they don't have a chance to wrestle the ruck to to submission to win it. They mm. have to go. Yet they still be able to still compete while doing it. You know, I'm just yeah. you know, like I thought if anyone was going to struggle, would be them. Because of, you know, of 
how structured they are, like how they play with, they have to try to control the tempo of the game. And it's mm. so hard to do it with because of the speed of, you know, what Peter Valenius has done now this year with the one referees and, you know, and that. But, like, it's the, it's the teams that have been able to adapt to it have been the most successful. And, and mate, like, I was just – I was really surprised with how well Melbourne – you know, Penrith, Penrith yeah, you could see that with their youthfulness. But with Melbourne, for how structured they've been for the last – like, you've watched how they played this year compared to other years, and it's a totally different way of how, how they've played. Mm. Yeah, they're really And it, it, it's amazing considering how conditioned they were into that old style of play. Like that was basically Bellamy was like, we're going to live or die by this. But this year, you can't live or die by anything. You've just got to throw it all out there. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. you got to put yeah. so much energy in, in different areas of the game, you mm. know. And Melbourne, and in the past, Melbourne can you, you, they can do that. You know, you could do that. But this game, because of the six again at any time. You could be defending, you know, twenty tackles, twenty-five tackles in a row, you yeah. know. Then and then if they don't score, well, then you got to find that energy then to be able to get yourself, you know, not only to complete it, but then to try to get yourself in a position where you got to then, you know, get the ball like defend defend again, but get yourself back into a neutral position, which yeah. is so hard to do, you know, which yeah. is so hard to do. But but they've been able to do it, you know. Mm. Like last week was a, probably a classic example was that play two. Uh, Munster just kicked it straight down the field and send that a car down there chasing it. You know, not not many teams would would do that, but they just back themselves. Like they just change it up. Yeah, and it, and I feel like they're always thinking in that mentality, even though they might be exhausted because they've defended their line for a couple of sets or three sets in a row. They're always then switching very quickly to when will that opportunity arise and when will I take it? That's that's a a really good point because I, I don't feel like if you were in their opposition that you'd be able to switch off at all and just say, well, they're a bit exhausted. So we'll just bash them a bit here in this particular set. And we should have field position, you know, mm. so yeah, they could turn it around on you. Oh, hundred percent. Like even last week, you know, there was an error, um, you know, they just, they just went bang straight onto it. Um, try straight up Jess Robin, and then try again, have an mm. then try again, you know, like, like the way, they're not. They didn't sit back and wait and try to. Probably in the past, they probably. You know, we could. We just need to complete the set. You know, they just thought. You know what? We are on top. Let's just put the foot down. You yeah. know, and it's really encouraged. It makes them more scarier when they. Yeah. They, they got Mick, that. you mentioned before um, with your time at the Knights, one of the things you enjoyed the most was was just being with the boys, uh, and, and that for you was was probably the, the penultimate experience of playing in in a first grade environment. Um, I don't think it's any surprise that the two teams that have done the best this year for, for, um, have done so for different reasons. And if we use Penrith as, an, as the first example, being essentially a team of local juniors, you know, 24 of the squad of 30 have, have for the most part, grown up through that Panthers system and 24 yep. have debuted with the club. Um, so they've, they've essentially grown up as Panthers and, you know, the, the one junior comps together and all that sort of stuff. So they have a really strong bond and, and, and obviously, you mentioned examples about being on your line for 20, 24 tackles, finding something extra to, to sort of, you know, complete those sets and not concede. Um, you know, it's not just stuff on the field. You have to, you've got to pull some of that, you know, uh, will from elsewhere. So that togetherness is one thing. Um, and the other example from Melbourne, you know, for a totally different reason, their sort of togetherness is just basically living with each other for the most, for the best part of five or six months, yeah. having had to leave Melbourne, their families, and just based in, 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 in a bubble environment up on the Sunshine Coast, 
where they're just in the, in each other's pockets, twenty four seven essentially. Um, so the bonds and everything that those guys have sort of you know developed, sort of you know can essentially almost transcend footy in a way. But I guess much the you know use that tackle example, they can draw a lot of that on the field. I think that's that's probably showed in the way that they've played this year. Um, trusting each other, you know, um, to, 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 you know, backing each other, trusting them. And I'm not sure whether or not if they were living in a, in a regular sort of season, as we've had in the past, whether they'd have been able to do what they've done this year. You know, like, it, it, it is interesting when you said this, you know, because, like, I guess for Melbourne, they're quite, they're probably, them and the Warriors, like, they, they do live in their own bubble anyway, if you know mm. what I mean. Like, living in Melbourne, there's not, no other league teams, you know, so that, you know, a lot of the guys leave their families behind. So their family is Melbourne Storm, mm. you know. So they're, they're sort of already used to that. But then now they're, now they're in a bubble, but their families can come on board. You know yeah. what I mean? So it's so like it's even closer, you know. Mm. So like I don't know if how that would go with other Sydney teams, you know, other yeah. teams that, that, that already have that closeness. But with Melbourne, like I imagine like how, how close they already are with families and all that, young ones and that. Next thing, they're now they're, you're living in the same resort as them, you know. Yeah. So it's probably like that's probably what makes it so much easy, you know. And Penrith, you know, like you know, it's it's it is a great story with Penrith, I guess. When you look, sound like like twenty four, you know, all making your debut for the same club, you know. They won. I don't know how many teams won that. We're in the team when they won the twenties, you know, three years ago. You know, like it's 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 pretty amazing, you know. How good what they've done down there to keep one to keep them all, and two to you know back them and say you know this is what this is the club this is what we want it to be and you know and mm. you know they have the backing but then the boys have stepped up and done it especially through all this you know COVID stuff you know like you got guys there like with Nathan Cleary with the TikTok stuff you know he had to get you know he had to get over that real fast for their season to be you know mean something because he's their number one player but guy like Tyrone May he had some pretty big charges but. It seems like it galvanised them, you know. It seemed like they were really tight from the from the get go, and you know they're prepared to go deep, you know. Yeah, they've done a really yeah. good job of putting that behind them very quickly and focusing on the footy, right? Like they're mm. that's that the difference I think is that they kind of tended to come out from the COVID break basically still focused on what they were doing before it, where some other teams took a little bit longer to get back into the environment that they needed to. So. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. and with a roster that was best suited of all the clubs in the competition to to adapt to these new rules, just based on the fact that they're young, young, athletic. Um, yeah, they're they playing with mates, you know. Mm. Like they're playing with mates, you know. They weren't they, like you know they went through and played. They won a comp together, all their juniors, you know, and then now they're playing NRL and they're just still playing with their mates, you know. Like yeah. it's it's you can't put price on. You know that that the amount of trainers they would have done through the whole. You know, I heard you know with Nathan Cleary talking about Dylan Edwards and that. You know, they're all, you know, um, Luai. You know, they they they've been the same spine like from you know from that long ago. You know, but they're mm. they're best mates. You know, so when they go on that field, they don't want to let a Panther player down. They don't want to let their best mate down. Yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. That, that galvanizes even more stronger when you're defending that try line. You know mm. what I mean? And it's 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 something that you can't put money on, you know, like that that trust and loyalty and and those all those you can tell, mate, they're that they're that happy to play be playing football together, but especially at an NRL level. 
Yeah. You well, they a good point there, playing playing with your mates and and one of your mates' dad's the coach. So. <laughs> I mean, it it's, it's a great, it's a great rugby league yeah. grassroots story. You know, it's, it's it's grassroots to sort of grand final sort of you know, thing. And I think you know, um, Penrith probably gets a bit of a bad rap just for its, its geographical sort of uh, location, being west of Sydney and, and 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 the butt of many jokes. But in terms of their football nursery, there's probably aside from maybe somewhere in Queensland, it's, it's probably the best place in, in the country to to be developing um, junior footy players. Man, we played juniors together. It was always Knights, Parramatta, and and um, Penrith. We were yeah. the three big. We we're always the three top ones. You know, like as in, you know, you look at Penrith. It's not only just Western Sydney. They, you know, Dubbo, you know, mm. Lithgow, you know, Bathurst, you know, like Orange, like they all go to they all go to Penrith. You know, and, and they know yeah. what they're going to get looked after. And you know, you look at how many players are in from you know from those rural towns. That have all that are all now playing there that are, that are classed as juniors, but mm. you know, but that's their nursery. That's and it's, it's no different from like us at the Knights, you know, like you know Danny Bedeiris, Tyree, and you know mm. like Steve out of Singleton, you know, like so you know it's not just Newcastle; it's that surrounding area, and they all buy into the, you know, they they all want to play there, you know, which, mm. is, which is awesome. Which is awesome. It does have that kind of country club feel to it, I think, because that is where they're drawing their players, like. A lot of the times this year when you've seen them have debutantes, you've seen their mum and their families in the crowd yeah. or their mates yeah. in the crowd as well, yeah. right? And you know you know that that's been a big part of the club, right? So the other players are happy for them that they've got that experience and they've got their mates there or their mum there or whatever it might be because, because they are behind each other. I think that's going to play a big part on Sunday. Yeah, so, so big for Charlie Staines that he made his debut, scored four tries, and then got suspended for getting on the piss with his mates <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> yeah, but honestly, boys, wouldn't you have done the same thing, mate? If yeah, I dropped kid... four in debut, I would be getting you boys out. We'd be shit faced, just to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty good. So, so let, let, let's talk about the game. Um, weather reports look like it is potentially going to be a bit of a wet track on Sunday night. Um, how do we think that plays into a fa- in, in in favour of either team? Personally, I mean, um, pre pre reading the weather report, I can't split the two teams. Um, you know, but if if it does go to a bit of a, a slip, slippery track and and it is wet, I probably would have to lean slightly in Melbourne Storm's favour. What are you boys' takes on that? Yeah, it's a. I just checked that because I was thinking, oh, yeah, it is too. So it's meant to be clogging down the rain. Um, so, yeah, I suppose that's where you, you, it comes back to the Melbourne grinded out sort of thing. Um, but in saying that, you can't, it, it's hard to write Penrith off as well because of, well, like we've just spoken about, they've got that togetherness, they've got each other's backs. But at the same time, and we've seen it, many times this year, they still can throw the ball around wet weather football. So yeah. uh, it's not sort of reckless uh, abandonment for, for wet weather football, but at, at the same time, they're not afraid to throw it around. So, yeah, uh, oh, geez, it's bloody tough. It, I mean, it's tough to call on a dry track as well. So, yeah, yeah, I, I can't remember a grand final in the last maybe 10 to 15 years where there hasn't been a definitive favourite going in. Um, mm. Where with this one, you know, it's it's almost a coin flip. Um, I, I think, and that's obviously a good thing. Uh, a couple mm. of random trivia points I will make is 
Penrith won their last grand final in the wet uh, in a similar sort of situation, minor premiers, but went into the grand final as underdogs, pissing down rain versus the Roosters, and they and, and they got them. And Melbourne Storm have never won any of their grand finals whilst wearing their white jersey. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that is pretty random, Shreddy. Yeah. So, yeah. For those people well, that like say, those people like to bet on omens, there's a couple of omens for you. I will say, if it does rain, like probably it does definitely favour Melbourne only because the kicking game becomes so important, you know. And and looking at Penrith, Appy Corsia doesn't kick. Dylan Edwards is not there for kicking. Jerome Luai does kick, but he's more probably their attacking kick. So yeah, it puts a lot 20. more pressure on on Cleary. So, you know, where, where you know, Munster deep kick, Hughes deep kick, and, you know, Cameron Smith can do anything. So, you know, mm. like, I guess, I guess, you know, especially when you get out on a wet track, your kick does become so important. So, like, look, if Penrith does get up, Nathan Cleary will definitely get, you know, Clive Churchill because, you know, he would have to kick kick him to victory. You know, that's yeah. what that's probably my thoughts. Wasn't it? And that's a good point, Mick, because then it means basically the whole team has to look at protecting him on the last tackle each time, right? Because we've already seen throughout most of this year, teams are chasing down that primary kicker and putting pressure on them all the time. There's a bit, with that one referee on the field, there's a little bit more leniency, I feel, in that particular area. And, and so there's a bit of a, you know, like I've seen a lot of kickers taken out on what previously I reckon might have been pulled up, but it's now kind of let go, which is which is a good thing. But I think it's a I think it's something that the Panthers are going to have to be very well well aware of on Sunday. Well, it just comes down to for that whatever tackle they're going to kick on, that play beforehand has to be in a position where Nathan Cleary can get himself in a position. You know, if it's on the sideline, it's going to be too easy for Melbourne Storm to you know yeah. put pressure. But if at least if it's in the middle of the field. Cleary can sweep either side, you know, and, and get himself, you know, somewhere that he can, you know, get protected. But it's that's just what it's going to come down to, you know. If it's if it's wet, it's going to be, you know, like they'll, they'll probably, you know, oh, I can't see him playing expensive because either side doesn't want to lose, you know what I mean? And and, and yeah. like what Judy was saying, there's no clear favourite, you know. Mm-hmm. Like I, I felt in that first grand final 2003, you know, Penrith really, you know, they didn't just take their chances. Like they, they, you know, a couple of times, you know, that last tackle play down the sideline to, you know, Luke Green, you know, like that's, you know, that's, that's plays where you have to, you know, just fully, you know, go for it because you've got no other option, you know, where, <laughs> but I think with the amount in both sides, that like they can score from anywhere and with the ability in it, you know, it's, they're going to, they're going to play that safe brand of footy. They try to yeah. at least get them in that position. Yeah, so yeah. The, the final series in, in large has been fairly high scoring, uh, more so than, than previous years. Uh, total match points, sports bet have set at 35 and a half. Um, obviously, if it's wet, I, I think that's come down. I haven't checked it earlier in the week, but I'd imagine that the under probably is a good play there. Um, yeah, definitely wet. Yeah. Mick, you, you mentioned him earlier. We haven't spoken much about him. Cameron Smith, is he... Is he the best player you've seen play the game and will he be the difference on Sunday? Oh, look, I, you know, the two guys that, you know, me playing with Joey, you know, and Danny, mm. you know, but like they're, they're different players, you know, like Joey, Joey's a guy that, um, you know, he was, he was captain, you know, of, played for Australia and everything when I first come in when I was younger and I was a young fullback and I used to go there, um, 
when I was I was still in high school when I was playing reserve grade. So I used to go early and just to go there, just to get there early from after school. And you know, seeing Joey, Joey be there, mate, an hour before training, just kicking. So I used mm. to get down there and catch a ball with him and just, you know, just watch how he, mate, like how he just set himself and, you know, just everything about him was just, you know, all the stuff that you saw on the weekend was from that hard work he'd done all week, you know, and, mm. mate, just a phenomenal um, trainer, phenomenal, you know, competitor. You know, he, he always wanted, you know, the best out of you. He, you know, he believed in the best out of you and, you and that's where he wanted you to be, you know. So I haven't played with Cameron Smith, you know, I played against him, but you know, that like, you know, I can't imagine he wouldn't be that far from a Joey's perspective, you know, yeah. but a guy I love playing with Danny Dearest, mate. He's just, he's, he's heart, you know, and just, he's, you know, he just chase everything and just would never give up on anything. But, you know, mm. he'll go down as Cameron Smith will go down one of the greatest for sure. Like yeah. you can't play many games he's played in the yeah. position as, you know, the, or, the rep games alone is like being more than most people that have played NRL and that's his, just his rep games, you know? So like, mm. he'll definitely be up there and, you know, and will he be the difference? Mate, he's got, mate, if, if Melbourne win, I'm, I'm pretty certain he'll get it, you know, yeah. back of his, you know, on the back of his ability. So, you know, yeah. they'll say they'll be the two Clive Churchills. It just be, depends on what side wins. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for a guy that, that if you had blown up all the players in NRL, he's the most unlikeliest looking NRL footy player but yet he's probably the most durable over his career. What do you think it is about Cameron Smith to to, to not sort of, you know, he, he's probably almost got a, a late 80s sort of build or an 80, 80s style body playing in the modern game. But he seems to avoid injury. Yeah. Um, and injuries have played a pretty big part. He positions his body. Yeah, he, he, he doesn't, you know, like when I used to watch Bedsy, Bedsy would just fly over the line and just, you know, and smack someone. You know what I mean? Like he doesn't do that. Mm. You know, he doesn't. Like, that's why I love playing with Betsy because Betsy would just jam out the line and knock himself out trying to smash it and wear our You mm. know, like, that's that's the player he was, you know. Mm. Smithy wouldn't do that. He wouldn't get himself – and that doesn't mean he's not not a tough player. That's mm. just how he plays the game. So, yeah. if you're not out there throwing the body out in front of him and, and putting yourself in harm's way, well, you're going to have that durability, mm. you know. And that's and that's just how he's he seen – you know, he's not the fastest. He's not all, like, he doesn't do all, like, he knows that's not the player he is. And he understands that. You know, he understands the Melbourne Storm don't need him doing that. They've got plenty of guys that will fly the line and jack and whack you. You know, mm. he needs to do his role. And what yeah. he does in his role is the best that's probably, you know, one of the best that's ever played the game doing it, you know. Yeah. Mm. Um, Streety asked you earlier, Mick, uh, around, like, um, some of the, like, guys that might make good coaches. Danny Badiris, mate, like his mind, footy mind, is it? Is it like you know he was tough, but he was a pretty intelligent player too, right? <clears throat> oh, mate, unbelievable! You know he was a he was a halfback and pretty much had to turn himself into a hooker because Joey was half. <laughs> you know, so you know, and you know, and and he did that. You know, and then in look, you know, like he's such a different player than um than Smitty, but. You know, he was phenomenal smart. Like, his ball, you know, I, I was playing at 2007, I was playing utility. I was playing hooker at times. I never played hooker in my life. You know, and he'd, he'd be down there teaching me, you know, all the, all the tricks and that to, you know, so I can get a ball. And he'd just say, look, uh, for a dummy half, if you can't pass the ball, well, then you're nothing. You know what I mean? You're not, you know, so, you know, and he, he's like, he's, he's, 
teaching skills, like, you know, the, you know, the do's and that. But what I love most about him was, mate, you, you followed him. You know, that's yeah. what, that's what made him like, you know, okay, you just, you just followed him in the battle, mate. You know, and like I said, you wouldn't see the stuff, what Denny could do in the game. Smithy would never have done it in his whole career. You know, like I've never, you know, and like, and the way Bezzy used to throw his body around, mate, and he's not a big man. You know, he's like 87, 88 kilo and he'd just, and he'd launch out of the line and try to whack it. Like that last game where he knocked himself out trying to smash where our graves, that's Danny Bedeiris' career. You know, I think everyone wants to smash where where our graves would be lining up. (laughs) Yeah, he he wore his elbow, but you know what? But like, man, that's, that's how he played the game. You know, he just played it with that passion and that heart and, you know, you can't teach that. It's just within you and that, you know, and, and the way I think, you know, even that year when you coached the back end, when the Knights sacked Stoney, you could see that sort of coming from the boys that year. You know, they had they played with a bit of belief and just back yourself. And, you know, at the end of the day, you're playing for the Knights, have fun, you know, like, and, and that's the kind of coach I think Bedsy would be, you know, really good. Yeah. yeah. Do you, um, you, you like Brandon Smith? What is he, the block of cheese or whatever? He's a bit of a one the Wombat. Yeah. yeah. I, I love I love Brendan Smith. I, yeah. I, I mate, I'm a massive fan. You know, I just you know, <clears throat> the, the big the biggest thing, you know, what I love about him is, you know, you hear about the stories about each year they have that um the army camp, you know, the dreaded okay. army you know, preseason camp. And he's won like I think you know, five out of the last six years he's been the the man's man on the army. They're, yeah. like, they're all asleep and he's just sitting there waiting for the early call to get up, you know, he's doing yeah. on, on. you know, that's yeah. the guy you want to go to battle with, you know, like I, I love blokes like that, you know, and mate, the way he, he's like, you know, it's so funny when you you look at Melbourne storm and you've got, you know, Harry Grant, who's, you know, rookie of the year and maybe he's probably going to be Queensland. Hooker, and then you got Brandon Smith. That's the New Zealand hooker. And mm. then you got Cameron Smith, who's, you know, the best hooker in the game, you know, like all playing at one club and mate, yeah. he doesn't care what position you play him. He'll just get out there and rip in. And that's what I love about him. He just looks like a bloke who just loves playing footy. Eh? Like that's the thing about him is that I, I just feel like he just, like he gets whacked and he goes, Oh yeah, fucking bring yeah. that on. Like, yeah. Yeah. That, you know? It does, but look, that's, he looks like the harder, the harder it's going, mm. the better he plays. Yeah, you know, yeah. He doesn't. He doesn't. He's not a green. You know, we call him. You know, like the dry weather footy player. He's like when mm. it's monsoonal. He's the guy that you want. Like this game on the weekend is probably mm. a classic game for him to get out there and just you know, you know, coming from the inside, putting pressure on Nathan Cleary. That's him. That's mm. that's what that's what Craig Bellamy saying. That guy gets the ball in the last. You're on him, and he'll be on him every single time. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I mean that, that's probably a, a underrated part of the of the game to look out for is. As you know, we spoke about it before, kick pressure, and you know whoever sort of pressures the kicker the the most um, probably may may come out tops. So I know Cooper Crunt was rattled in uh, the 2016 Grand Final. Um, you know the yeah, whole Sharks that, game plan was just just running, just uh, having Wade Graham just run at Cooper Cronk. Uh, yeah. and I'm pretty sure there was that, there was some success in the state of origin of you know, that year um, with um, you know players just targeting Cronk on the fifth just off the kick and just bashing him. Um, you know, trying not, not to concede a penalty, but it really just put him off that game and went a long way to the Sharks winning that. Maybe uh, uh, that's the key to success this week. It wouldn't be grand final week if you didn't mention the Sharks at some stage won a grand final. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to throw it in there somewhere. Hey, Mick, quick question. Um, 2020 probably was a season of footy where we saw an incredible amount of injuries. 
uh, mainly to knees and sort of lower leg injuries. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure the term syndesmosis wasn't a commonly used uh, term in the last couple of years, but um, well, prior to that, but the last couple of years it has been. Why do you think injury rates, particularly amongst lower limbs, are so prevalent in in the game at the moment? Well, I don't know. I think it's got to do with like you know a lot of um, yeah, the guys are bigger. Yeah, they're massive. Like you know, you walk around. I'm sure you would have seen from the Cronulla players back in, you know, late 80s, like Gav Miller and that. Now you look at, like, you know, Toby Rudolph now. You know, you got they're so different in sizes. You know, these are big men. Like, they're massive men, you know, mm. and they're, they're that fine-tuned athletes. And I think when you're that fine-tuned, you only need a little bit to go wrong and it's horrific, you know. Mm. Like, that's, you know, it's – and, like, bad luck, bad luck. But, you know, I, I, you know for me, a lot of the time – you know, when I grew up, it was about finding the ground when you got the ball, you know, getting the quick play the ball, yeah. you know. And, and I think today that, you know, these post-contact meters and you got to keep on your feet and you got to keep running and, and all that. But a lot of the time, the, the defenders are used to it. You know, defenders, the longer you're on your feet, the more defenders can get in the tackle. And the more yeah. people tackle, the more weight's in the on the on the play yeah. with the ball. And that's yeah. probably where you find your... Injuries, and then you mentioned the you know being finely tuned. It was an interesting conversation I had the other day uh, with someone whose friends a physio who, who treats sort of elite athletes, and they were saying you know like you mentioned earlier, players are bigger and stronger, their, their muscle mass is bigger, and, and things like that. But one thing that never changes is tendons, yeah, yeah, yeah. tendons, and your tendons attach muscle to bone, and, and they're, they're the things that sort of go the most. Um, they're obviously the weakest point um, in that joint, and then. So you have all this extra load from your muscle and heaps of more torque going through that joint and then the tendons just give out. And, you know, for guys like uh, Tom Trevojevic, Matt Moylan, you know, whippet type guys uh, who've just really had to overload their body muscular to, to, you know, cope with the week-to-week contact, um, you know, their their tendons just can't keep up with with what their body's putting through them and they're suffering leg injuries. You know, like, and and you're right, you know, like... um... I think, you know, because the guys are so big, I think, you know, everyone think, I've got to get bigger, I've got to get bigger. But if you're like a Matt Moylan, his debut, he was like 80 kilos. Yeah. You know, now, what size is Matt Moylan now? You know, like he's 90, 92. Yeah. You know, he's 12 kilos heavier than trying to run as fast as he was back when he was 80. Like, something's got to give. Hit, you know, like, and that's, you know, and that's, you know, it's, I feel the game, the way the game speeds coming, but it's it's coming back to the leaner. You know, it will be come back. Like, but a lot of the injuries were, you know, like you know, look at Sean Johnson. You know, there's some horrific injuries that that happened, and you know that that could just happen any time. But I do feel the ones where you you know you're running and you're standing in the ruck and blokes get in and you know, and then it's the lower leg and sometimes it's just accident because you have got three blokes in a tackle and you got to find somewhere to to to, mm. to get in there. Yeah. And then you got 300 kilos on on the bloke on the with the ball, you know. I think like I think a lot of the time they say, oh, the person making the tackle's got to take responsibility. I think also if I've got the ball, you know, I need to take responsibility of me not getting hurt too. Mm. You know yeah. what I mean? And that's often overlooked, you know, like <laughs> and I feel like all these head crashes and that, yeah, at times, yeah, when when the bloke's picked up and put in that position, hundred percent it's defensive. But if you're if you're hit a bloke and you turned around and you're running backwards and then Mate, three guys are trying to get in there somewhere, mate. Mm. Well, that you know that's that's your fault because you got no control because you you you're leaning back and running back and then 
you're getting bent over because that's what naturally happens when you lose your legs. Mm. Do you, you think there come a point in time, much how PVLs sort of uh, re- revolutionised um, the the ruck with with the you know six again and stuff like that? Do you think there'll be a, there'll come a time where they all, they they bang on about the duty of care a lot? Do you think we we may see an instance where um, they'll be limited to the amount of um, tacklers that, that that can that can contest a tackle, like maybe capping it at two defenders at, at once at, at any one time. So to rule that third guy running in uh, and potentially causing an injury, or See, I, even just slowing yeah. that play the ball up more. Yeah, I, I think it. I think it totally comes down to the attacking players, the attacking team. Like, mate, if if you run out on your own, well, guess what? Three blokes are going to hit you. Mm. If you got caught inside outside. Well, three blokes trying to come in on you. Well, you got someone open. Mm. You know, like, you know, the game, you watch the game, they just send a bloke out, old school Paul Gallon type, straight up, you know, three blokes are going to come in. Well, that's what's going to happen. You send one guy out, that's what that's what happens. You know, mm. and, and, and that's what you're putting rules on a team that when they send one guy, you're only allowed to hit so many guys tackling. Well, that's their dumb fault. That's how I see it. You know, like yeah. if you want to if you want to run one out, well, you, you deserve to get whacked. That's that's my you know, and it's not the it's the poor Blake that's taking a hit up, but that's the team. That's that's part of the team. You know, you watch that Penrith side on the weekend that we'll be playing. Not one of them players will be running on their own because they're they're backing their brother up. You know, mm. and, and Melbourne they won't send one out because Craig Bellamy will be spitting at them through the the glass up in the <laughs> box. You know, but but that's but that's how they play the game, and that's why they're successful. You know, because they work as a team. They don't just send one out where they're getting three dominated in a ruck. You know, yeah. and and Cameron Smith's too smart to let a bloke on his own like that to give him the ball in the first place. Good insights. I like it. Right, yeah. yeah. Who, who who wins, boys, and by how many? Oh, Mick, you take it away, mate. Oh. <laughs> just yeah, good. Off. We just we just talked about <laughs> offloading hospital walls. No, nah, we won't bury you, Mick. I'll go first, mate. I, I'm going <laughs> to say that the Panthers are going to win, but it's not going to be by any more than six points. And I, but, but, but that's, I'm predicting a dry track. You're predicting Ooh. a dry, dry track. So you're, you're going against the weatherman. Yeah, mate. Because the weatherman doesn't, because <laughs> largely, you, being a meteorologist is the only job you can have where you can kind of go, oh, well, fuck, got it wrong, whatever. No one cares. Right. Mother yeah. nature just sprung one of us. Yeah. El Nino. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm going to go. I, mean, I love Penrith's story. I love the fact that, you know, they, they've basically all grown up together. Um, I do think that if it's wet, I'm, I'm going to, you know, contradict Macca's weather report. I'm going to think that the weather will influence the game somehow. Um, if that's the case, I think Melbourne will win like 18 14, um, but only get it done in the last sort of 15 minutes of the game. And, and uh, see Cam Smith retire a winner as much as it pains me to say it, but I've got a feeling that may be the outcome. Mm. What do you reckon, Doug? Uh, I'm not even going to make a prediction on the weather. <laughs> There's going to be a ball and they're going to play some footy. And uh, I'm going to go 18-12 uh, Penrith. 18-12. Cleary. Cleary. Clive Churchill. Got to kick three from three. No, right. I'm, I'm going to go. I'll go Melbourne. You know, I think, you know, I, I did hear something about, um, I don't know if he's watched the press conference last week, and something that Cameron Smith said about, you know, 
they were saying if you you know if you win on the weekend or you don't win, what does that mean to the legacy of Melbourne Storm? And and he said, you know, the last ten years, you know, this will be our fifth grand final, eighth prelim final, but we've lost, you know, Greg Inglis, Billy Slater, Cooper Cronk, you know, you, you go Adam Blair, you know, um, Sycamore, you go through all the rep players they've had that have gone, they've left her, Harris, Kevin Proctor, but they've never recruited one rep player. Mm. Not they've one had, rep player yeah. has, has, has they've picked up to go to Melbourne. Mm. You know, and to me, that's amazing. Like to me, that means that they've bred all them. They've bred all them. Yeah. You know, they, they've got all them like, you know, and you're talking about even the guys that they, you know, they let go like Brian Norrie, you know, the shark, you know, like they've, they, they let, they made guys, you know, and that's, and that's a, that's to me, that's a club, you know, that, you know, that means, it means something to them players, you know, that's, mm. you know, and I, I, you know, I think this is destined for them to win this weekend. Uh, even though I'd love the story of Penrith, I do, I really do love it, but you know, they're going against a great team in Melbourne. I think they're going to win on the weekend and I'd say maybe two tries, I reckon. I reckon they're going to get 12 up. Yeah, it's a little bit like the Lakers, you know, that, that sense of destiny sort of is is right at the Storm's sort of doorstep and it's an opportunity that I don't think they are going to let not let go of, you know what I mean? It's, it's, yeah. uh, they'll take it. And if it so happens to be Cam Smith's last game, well, that, that's extra motivation. And for him to do it, I, I personally think that he'll call it quits, um, especially off the back of a win and, you know, uh, that'll be enough to, to get him home. Boys, just while we're talking about um, fairy tales and the Penrith Panthers, I just want to tell you a little bit about a fairy tale story of my own about regarding the Penrith Panthers. So I, when I used to work at the West Tigers many years ago as as a sponsorship representative, they they had a um, we went down to Concord Oval one day to have an office staff versus football staff game, and this is when Sheenzy <laughs> and Roy Simmons were coaching. Right, you'll love this story, Mick. This is a good story. And so we played a game of touch footy, right, and. Uh, Anyway, I was I was pretty quick in my day, just quietly. But um, I, I was defending in the line. I noticed that Tim Sheens was kind of getting a little bit lippy, and I thought, oh, all right, I'll come out of the line here. And I, as he, he he faked the pass to Royce, and I pounced on it and took an intercept, and across Concord Oval, I streaked Mick, and I was flying right. And yeah. Royce Simmons at that stage was like, I'd watch that that the grand like, final, grand, yeah. Yeah. yeah, ninety-one grand final, ninety-one grand final. I'm not sure exactly how old Royce was at the time, but let me tell you, he reeled me in like I was standing still, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it's been a long time since 91, like, you know, 15 years or so. And he and he got me even before I went in and scored, right? And that is the absolute peak of my sporting life career. <laughs> so that's good as it gets for me. Getting run down by Roy Simmons in a game of <laughs> is my grand final story. Even better yeah. than your six for forty-two at CNS mate. cricket. That even better than your six for forty-two at cricket. Mate, way better than that. And it was six <laughs> for twenty-six. Thanks, you asshole. It was for what? Six for twenty-six because that's better than your figures, and you know it. I'm better bowl than you. No, mate, it was six for forty-two. My best bowling was six for thirteen off three. So get that up. Here. <laughs> okay, we don't count the under eights, mate. So. <laughs> So Mick, what about um, what about some of the stories you were telling us about the Curry knockout and country footy, mate? Like before we go, can we hear at least some of those? So, yeah, like yeah, well, this year, you know, it would have been the fiftieth year of the Curry knockout. So, um, for those that know, it's an Aboriginal New South Wales Aboriginal competition. So, mm-hmm. where teams 
all throughout New South Wales all come and, you know, on over a weekend and compete. And, um, yeah, it would have been the 50th year this year. But, you know, next year, because of COVID, obviously, um, will be next year. And, you know, it's it's one of those carnivals, you know, I guess even going there to watch. You know, you're watching, you know, Wado Carr, who won it a couple of years ago playing for Redfern All Blacks, you know, won, scored a match win and try, you know, against the Newcastle All Blacks. And, you know, like you see, you're seeing these guys when they're younger, and they're coming through the NRL ranks, you know. So, it's um, NRL clubs whose players play in the knockout are they just yeah. shitting their pants the whole weekend, just praying that none of these blokes get injured? Yeah, well, well, Brian Smith told me, like, I remember 2007, he said, like, he said, you're not playing that career knockout, are you? I said, look, brother, I said, you pay me to play for the night, so I played knockout because that's my mob, <laughs> you know. Like, yeah. I said, if yeah. I get back, I don't, you know, I get shame, mate. So. Look, mm. you know, you can't bash it, mate. I've been knocked out. I think I probably, I don't know how many times I've been knocked out. It's probably <laughs> scary, but, you know, but that's part of the game. But that's what makes it what it is, you know, like yeah. the, you know, the all in, you know, knockout is, you know, 64 teams, mm. you know, you start on the Saturday. By the time Monday afternoon, you, you got one winner, you know, you, you, you play 20 minutes around, uh, mm. 20 minutes a half, you know, and it's, you lose your out, you know, mm. so it's, Mate, it's you leave it on the field, you know, and you know the brawls, are, you know the head eyes, the penalties, and you know it's, you know what that's what makes you know Aboriginal football what it is, and you know the tries unbelievable, mate. You know you see, you know I was, you're seeing young kids do up NRL players. I've seen like, you know there was an old fella I watched play for, um, he was playing up more his name was Dave Briggs Senior. You know Dave Briggs Junior can run, but Dave Briggs Senior. Mate, one of the quickest, probably one of the fastest guys ever come out of Maury. And he would have been 40, 43 or 44. And I've seen him do Lee Hookie, do up Lee Hookie and then run around Nathan Merritt on the wing, you know, like yeah. at, at, you know, 43, 44. Like, mm. you know, guys that you'll never hear from, but, mm. you know, out there are legends, you know, and, yeah. you know, that's what, that's what I, I, I loved, you know, like my, my, one of my first years I played, I played against, um, you know, I, I used to play for Minda River Warriors, you know, Minda River from Maitland. So, and we just saw all local followers. Cody Walker, he played with us, you know, mm. Cody and Brother Ryan. Um, but, um, you know, we played against Tumala, you know, playing, you know, 11 brothers of the McGrady's, you know, playing, you know, Panda McGrady, you know, <laughs> McGrady. And, you know, he, he's, he comes on the field, still got a cigarette in his mouth, flicking it off the sideline and, you know, getting the ball, chip kicking, you know, outrunning, you know, outrunning the quickest player you got on his side. You just think, far out mate you know, he's, <laughs> he's like nearly 50 you know like you just yeah. it's unbelievable and it's a it's a huge thing for the community isn't it and 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 the indigenous community in terms of the whole weekend like so the host area is the previous champion is that right yeah, me yeah, yeah yeah so whoever so whoever wins it so we won it in 2011 and we hosted up Raymond Terrace so you can pick where you want it Mm. And we didn't, it wasn't anywhere in Maitland they could host it. And mm. Newcastle was a bit funny. Well, they're the place we wanted, but they had cricket and, you know, yeah. and they wanted yeah. something ridiculous. They, a lot of people, like, well, back in the day, that a lot of people didn't know what the knockout was, you know, yeah. like I said earlier. You got 10,000, 15,000, you know, people coming, like, ascending on your on your town. So, you know, like, there's a lot of money come into the community mm. over that weekend, you know. So it's, um, you know, like, it, it's, it's just one of those things, you know, like you grow up um, watching it and then, you know, you, you get your turn and, you know, of, um, 
you know, just going there and being part of it and, you know, hopefully watching my kids play it, you know, and, you know, yeah. just that's, you know, it's just a generational thing and, you know, I, I love it. You know, it's a great, great weekend. It's a tough weekend playing, you know, but, yeah. you know, but it's, it's, it's awesome. It's awesome. Yeah. And, and Mick, um, the, the actual support of it now is starting to get more of a profile. Is that, is that changing the event at all or is it is it kind of just is it still the same type of look and feel for for you and everybody else that's known it for many years oh like like it definitely has changed from back in the day you know like it's definitely a lot more police presence you know but you know nitv covering you know but like in saying that it's promoted it too you know like you know i guess back in the day was if you weren't there you didn't see the magic you know, now you can sit on, sit on, sit and watch it on at home. You know, and flick it on NITV, and you can watch it. You know, like, you know, and and and, and this is the talent in in New South Wales. You know, how that car, I didn't say the other day, he goes, I'm, he goes, I'm fast. I know how fast I am, but I'm not even the quickest, mate. I, like, there's guys there that you wouldn't believe how quick guys are. Like, yeah. I've played against, you know, I played follow mate Steve Singleton come from up north of Cairns. Like, he's like John from First and. For Jonathan Thurston up in North Queensland, well, he's got unbelievable speed. Short mate, just phenomenal mate. He pick it up from dummy. He pick it up from the scrum at, at halfback and just run and beat the scrum out. You know, like just absolute speed. And you wouldn't, you, you just the the blokes that are from all around. They, you know, you you play with and you play against, and it's just a great concept. I, I love it, and I was, you know, I played. You know, many years there from Minda River, and you know the win, the winner knockout was one uh, probably nearly been my proudest moment actually in footy. Yeah, yeah. nice. How does it? Yeah, who's how, it? Who, how do you, who's it? How do you play for that? Like, how do you get? How do they choose the teams? Is it? Is it? Is there recruitment going, or is it just basically who you know and word of mouth? What is it like? How do you then, or is it just your local area? Well, well, some well. Depends on how much money you got, I guess. <laughs> like, you know, people the team sometimes bankrolled pretty good. But, yeah. you know, we have Minda River, mate, we didn't pay we didn't pay any I would not you would not pay me money. If someone said I'll give you money to come where represent your people, I'd tell them, you know, they're off and I'd tell them I I hope I play you first and I'll smash it you smash your team. Yeah. You know, like, like like to me it was more about, you know, you gotta you gotta love the jumper. You gotta you know, more people come from Northern Territory, so you know, when I played for Minda River, it was more, you know, like I'm not representing my people as such, you know, but I've got to represent the jumper. And what I believed in what the jumper represented, you know, I love, you know, and and, and that's what um, me and my brothers all played there. And, you know, my wife and sisters end up coming play there and they won, they won a women's one up there too. And, you know, and, and I guess it was all local. I think we had 20 players that were local and young kids all playing the Newcastle comp, you know, and, you know, it was awesome. Yeah, nice. I guess for those kids, it'd probably give a lot of younger kids that have a taste of that, you know, aiming up against NRL players. And, you know, like you said, if, if they, they stand them up or get around them, it probably, you know, it gives a lot of those younger ones a bit of a, hey, you know, I can I can do this and, you know, I can I can make my way to an NRL, NRL club and crack mm-hmm. first grade and, and uh, you know, one day be the hunter as opposed to uh, the, the hunter. Yeah, hundred percent. Like that's what it does. Like, you know, like, and it's sad. It's not just like indigenous kids. There's a lot of kids when they're little, if they're small and that, they get told you're small, you'll never make it. But then again, you play against an NRL player and you do him up, and you think, 
we're there. You know, like they said I can't make it, but then I just done up, you know, such and such. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, mm. that, you know, Cody Cody's a classic example. Cody played with us. He was, he was 21 when he won the knockout with us in um, 2011. And, you know, he he was told he was no good up Titans. And he come down, he was playing with his brother Ryan at Penrith. And, you know, and, and then he was moving back up to Queensland to try to get a run. And, you know. But then he's played a grand final. He's scored three tries in the grand final, you know, like in and playing the game, same football as what he's playing now, you know, like, you know, back then, but but some but clubs didn't believe in him. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. He's there doing it against all all NRL players, you know, mm-hmm. doing it all up, you know. So, you know, I guess that is that could be a good confidence boost for the you know, a lot of the young followers there, they'd have that opportunity, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Oh well, that's awesome. No worries. That's uh, that's a good note to finish up on. Thanks, Mick. Yeah. We mate. That was that was a really cool chat. Yeah, yeah, no, awesome, you guys. Thanks very much, and well, uh, good luck to uh, whatever team you're betting on. Um, go the Panthers, I suppose. <laughs> Even I've tipped the store. <laughs> uh, see you, boys. Yeah. See you for episode forty-eight. Uh, Thanks, gents.